have a word of prayer and then we'll read the Word of God. I'll review quickly what we did last week and show you how it all ties together. But I knew that you would not appreciate it if I tried to cover all of this information in one sitting. So, so I look out for you guys. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your Word. from Father, the joy of our salvation. And the Father, knowing that you... You are the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. And the Father, regardless of what is going on, internally or externally, Your gracious hand is there to comfort us, to strengthen us, to hold us, and yes, Father, even at times to overwhelm us. Thank You, Lord, for the amazing things You do. And that you've allowed us to be a part of it. And Father, may we walk worthy. May we want, walk with a humble hearts to your glory and praise. Amen. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions that we will be able to comfort those with, who are in any affliction with the same comfort with we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings that we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our suffering, so also you are sharers of our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had a sentence of death within ourselves, so that we could not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death, and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope, and He will yet deliver us. You also joining in helping us through your prayers, so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. This is a, an amazing text, and in its context, I can understand it. It's a very personal letter, and what the Apostle Paul is dealing with are people who would wonder why here is this apostle to the Gentile, this guy who was called by God on the Damascus Road, why is he going through bad things? Why, why, why are bad things happening? I mean, this is, guys, this is God's guy for the Gentiles. Why is, why is he having bad luck? You see it today, brothers and sisters. You see it today. It does the same thing. It goes all the way back to the oldest book in the Bible, which is the book of Job. Uh, you must be doing something wrong or things wouldn't be going so bad. 
You know, and I've, I've heard people tell that, make that statement of me. They said, well, you know, Castle Rock Baptist Church will never grow numerically until you leave. You just stayed there too long. And I'm like, well, there you go. You know, me and the gates of hell are going to stop the growth of the church. There you have it. I, I, I was aware of that. But you get this and, and they say, well, it's obvious that if this is happening, it's because of this. Or if this is happening, it's because of this. And this is what is happening in the Apostle Paul's. And, and I, last week I wanted to lay a table out because I needed you guys to understand bad things happen. Okay? And they are all in God's sovereign control. I don't care what it is. And, and, and I watch people who struggle with this and I was like, no, God doesn't promise you that all of a sudden you're, you're like Enoch and all of a sudden you were there and then you're not. Because, and, and let me just go through this. Why do bad things happen? I gave you eight last week. And I want to spend more time on the ninth one today, which is the awesomeness of comfort. Okay. Why do bad things happen? Okay. One, test your faith. Is it real? Is your faith destructible? Okay. Because if your faith is destructible, then it's not a saving faith because saving faith is not destructible. It is indestructible. Second thing, why do bad things happen? To wean you from the world. To wean you from the world. Okay. This room is full of people who have a great confidence in the things of the world, whether it be money or cars or relationships or whatever else. But God will take you through bad things so that you will understand that don't put your confidence in it. Doesn't mean I don't work through it. Okay, but I don't put my confidence in it. All right. Third thing kind of ties in with being weaned from the world. He will put you to a heavenly hope. I, I literally look at it. Bad things happen to show you what your hope should be in. Okay. Your hope. It's, it's like if, if you get the diagnosis from a doctor. That is horrific and oh my gosh, and you're going to die and you got six months, you got five months. Everybody freaks out. And the first thing that we want to do is what? I want a healing. Why? Where your hope is. If your hope is in the heavenlies, then how gracious is God to say, well, look, there's the finish line. You get to see it. Some people don't get to see the finish line. They're just like, boom, there you are. Wow. You know, I, I think, anyway, like the last Gentile reached, we all go to heaven. What's it going to be like for him? Is it like it's for everybody? <laughs> you know, I bowed my knee and humbled myself and says, I shall repent and I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And then boom, we're all in heaven. Whoa. <laughs> Why didn't I do this earlier? But but you, there are times, now listen, and, and I'm not saying that, that medicine is bad and, 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 and things like that, but... I, People die by the thousands daily all across this country and this world. And you know what? Some of them people are stepping out of this thing going, yes. Okay. Some of them are stepping out going, oh, no. All right. Where's your hope? I remember a guy one time said, I hope Christ doesn't come back because I haven't gone to the Bahamas. And I just looked at him and said, well, did you hurry? <laughs> Get down there. <laughs> Okay, because if you're holding this thing up because you ain't got to the Bahamas, no, never mind. Okay, so it's heavenly hope. The, the fourth thing is it, bad things will show you what you love. 
What is precious to you? Okay, um, when, when you go through a bad time, of, and it can be anything, and I'll show you that here in a minute, but what do I love? What is the most important thing? When you start throwing the rest of it away and it all gets pruned away, what's important to you? Fifthly, yes, you know I was going to have to say it, it teaches us obedience. That's that chastening. Why? God shows you how bad it'll be if you disobey him. That's why bad things happen. Well, that sounds awful. Really? Then obey. It's really not that complicated. But he, you know, I thought it was by grace uh-huh. that you would walk worthy of your calling. Okay? Remember, the sons that he loved, he what? Chastens, Hebrews tells us. Not only that, he will scourge them. You know what that is, right? That's the same thing they did to Jesus before they crucified him. They whip the flesh off his back. That means God will, if necessary, whip the flesh off your back to get you to listen. He did it to me. I lost three days of life, woke up in the hospital, and realized that God was telling me, yes, I was talking to you. And I was like, yeah, I'm listening, I'm listening, I'm listening. Okay? And I kept thinking, but you don't play fair. And then I thought about that, and I thought, I, I really don't want him to play fair. <laughs> Let's stay on the gracious game. Okay? But he also does it to show us compassion. That would be number six. What is compassion? See, it is hard for you to understand how great is his compassion until you understand how tough afflictions and pressures and trials and tribulations are. We don't appreciate His compassion. Okay? It's hard to know blessing without knowing suffering. Because blessing becomes, well, this is the way it's supposed to be. And then with something bad. It's one of the things that it's, you'll hear terms like the prosperity gospel. Okay, and and everybody talks about well how how powerful it is in this country. You know what? It don't work at all in Russia. They don't care how positive you think. We're still all starving to death. Okay, and they don't care how great is your faith. It just ain't going to work. And so when you look at the prosperity gospel, it is set for just a country such as ours because it'll fit here. Well, it's not working real well right now, but you know, a couple of years ago, it was working great. All right, but but you take the norm and it don't fly. All right, um, and and it is through that that through that suffering that you see his compassion. Okay, seventh thing: bad things happen to develop your spiritual strength. Okay, to develop your spiritual strength. Um, uh, he will take you through whatever is necessary to bring you to the position for the ministry or what he needed to get done. You know, we talk about the father of faith, Abraham. If you're truly honest with yourself, at the beginning of Abraham, he is not the father of faith. And if you look through his life, he's not really strong at it. Okay, but it is through the faithfulness of God, through recurring events in his life, that he can, at the birth of his son, when God says, I want you to stick a knife in his chest, he can say, no problem. 
But you wouldn't have had Abraham do that before. Abraham would have never pulled that off. He'd have missed. Or something. All right. But if you look at Abraham, God walked with him to make him the father of faith. All right. So he was strengthened for the task that was at hand. And if you go through, uh, look at Peter. Uh, Peter is what? We all look at the cornerstone and need to, really? He was a moron. And yet, there was these great glimpses where he stood up and, Ta-da! you're going to save me out of this, right? <laughs> I mean, everybody, you, you watch him, and there's times you sit and say, he's amazing. Then there's other times you think, what a doofus. He will strengthen you for whatever task that he has. You can see it through the Apostle Paul. It took him three years to set him out in the desert. Taught him personally. All right? The eighth thing was that it enables us to help others. We get to go through things so that we can help others go through the same thing. I look at this congregation right now, and there ain't nothing that we can't cover in this congregation. Okay? There's nothing out there. I don't care what the affliction, what the pressure, I don't care what it is. Somebody in this congregation has been through it, is going through it, or will be going through it. Okay? And that's part of the reason we have the body of Christ. And that brings me to the ninth one, which is the awesomeness of comfort. Okay? The awesomeness of comfort. Do you realize that you will never in your life here on this planet, have a clearer view of God and see Him displayed in His power and majesty unless it is through trials and tribulations? Did you know that? No, that can't be true. Oh yeah, it is. Like I said, I've seen this congregation. I've been with you guys for a while and I know how it works. When good things are going good, who gets credit? I know. God does, Terry. Really? Did you know that lying is a sin? When you got good things going on in your life, you're not telling me you don't take credit for it? Oh, I know. I'm very spiritual. I share the credit with God. But you know what? When you get to the end of your rope and there's nothing left there, and it is just, uh uh-oh, guess who gets... All the credit. And how awesome is God in that one? Okay, because there's times we can say, you know, my education is going to accomplish this, or this is going to do this, or my spouse is going to do this, or my kids are going to do this, and I can make this all work out, and we'll all, you know, if we have the body of Christ, we'll help each other, and it'll be great. Okay, but there's times that God takes you to a place where there is no human help in it. And that's where you will start seeing the astonishing power of God as He brings you through it. This verse 11 wraps up the the thought, the opening paragraph. And you've got to remember that what is happening is, is that there is an attack on Paul's character. Okay? That's what he's defending right here in these 11 verses. Okay, first 11 verses. Listen, the false teachers have moved into Corinth 
And now Paul's gone. Paul's in Ephesus at the writing of this. And they are, they realize that they're not, false understands they cannot undermine truth. They understand that. False teachers know that. Okay, so what they want to do is let me get to the messenger. If I can undermine him, then we can disregard what he has said. Okay? You know, I see that all the time. You know, pastors, and that's what I have to look at it from. Pastors sometimes are attacked from a decent congregation, but it comes in and it's very personal because if they can't find open sin in his life, if they can't find false doctrine in his life, then they have to attack him so then they can undermine his doctrine. Okay? Paul um, was going through that. They were attacking him. Uh, Let's attack his credibility. All right? And that, that's what he is defending here. Okay? Because, see, when you attack his credibility, all right, now you're open. You've opened the people to the ability to hear error. All right? That's what was going on. That's why Paul, that's why Paul throws this out here. Why? Do you understand why I'm suffering? Why? He starts his suffering out with, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is grateful. And what he's telling them in that phrase is, I'm not being chastened, I'm being comforted. It isn't that God has turned his back on me, it is God has come to my aid. Because most people like, to, if you're going through suffering, you say, well, you know, it must be sin. God, something you refuse to repent of, and God's just going to whoop you. You know, you've been in prison, you've been beaten, whatever. I mean, it just, if, if you look at his ministry, it was endless difficulties. Have you ever thought about that? People want to get into the ministry. And I keep telling them, you better look at Paul. Well, but I need to really suffer endlessly. What? Yeah, that's what it's about. You know, well, no, that's the only people who are suffering endlessly are those who refuse to stop sinning. All right. He tells them in verse 3, no, God's coming to me to comfort me, and I am blessed. I am blessed. I can't say anything bad about God. Why? He is comforting me through this. And as he thanks God here, he gives an amazing look at the reality of what is spiritual comfort. And I tell you what, if you're willing to bow down and look at it and listen to it, it is awesome. The problem with this awesome comfort is it will be directly related to the awesome suffering that brought about the fact that God needed to comfort you. Okay? He says here, look at verse 8, I don't want you to be unaware. Okay? 
Something was going down in Asia. Asia here would have been a reference to Asia Minor. And I'll be honest with you, most people think that this could have been this prelude to the uh, riots in Ephesus when they all got scattered and all the rest of it. And, and you know what? All that is is hypothetical. Because I can be honest with you right now, I don't know exactly what this was. But the Corinthians would have known what it was. Because he doesn't give any details on it. He doesn't say, hey, remember when we got run out of town by the, you know, the coppersmith, Alexander coppersmith brought those charges on us and we thought everybody was going to die. He doesn't bring it up to, to bear on them. They understood that there was problems in Asia. Okay, now, they would have known this because he doesn't give details, but they were unaware of how serious it was. Uh, it, it's, <laughs> I got stopped in Russia uh, one of my trips, and um, by all the guys that carry big guns and don't smile, and, you know, give me your papers and, and stuff like that. And they do this and you come with me. And so me and my interpreter go down and we go in this little hole and it's like a like a cave. It's in a subway in Moscow. And they go in there and they got one of them stupid little light bulb hanging out of a little cable out of the ceiling with a bulb in it. And you're sitting there going, this is like silly movie. He's Boris and Natasha, <laughs> you know, and, and you're in all this and, you know, they're going through my papers, want to know what I'm doing da, 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 and all the rest of it. Just a bunch of questions going back and forth to an interpreter. And I was in there for probably an hour, hour and a half. It really wasn't that big a deal. I thought it was kind of comical at the time. But then I find out from SGA how dangerous that was. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm, you know, but they told me Afterwards, when I got back to America, and I was really thankful that they told me after I got back to America because ignorance sometimes is bliss. <laughs> but they said that it's not uncommon for them to just take somebody and lock them up in jail, and nobody knows where they're at for a time. And they can just do that. You know, your papers are out of order or something like this, but, you know, I've, <laughs> I, I didn't know. You know, I thought it was kind of comical. I see your peppers. My peppers. That's just my peppers. <laughs> Give them the papers and, you know, and they're, come, come, come. So, anyway, I had an interpreter there and this, but this stupid light bulb and this little thing, you're just sitting there going, what the heck is this? And, you know, this, this is like a movie. <laughs> I remember you in a movie. And uh, then Dr. Provost says, no, you, you don't want to be in that movie. <laughs> he says, you know, the, eventually you'll get out. I was like, what do you mean eventually? <laughs> how bad was it? Well, I found out later how bad it could have been. And what was going on in the Corinthian church was they were a little bit ignorant to the degree of how bad it was. And, and, and I think we, we all kind of fall into that at times. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 9, remember that? He says, I'm going to stay on in Ephesus here because a wide door of, for effective ministry was open, right? And we read that and we all like that. But he says, and there are many what? Adversaries. Okay, have you ever thought about that? Ministry is very successful because everybody hates me. Yay! <laughs> yeah, that's what Paul is trying to get to it somewhere in Asia Minor, 
Uh, it's prior to him going to Philippi and meeting uh, Titus and Macedonia. Um, whatever it was, it was serious because it came very near to taking his life. Okay, now I don't know about you. That seems kind of serious. I mean, ministering the gospel to the point that it could cost me my life? That's, that's, that's kind of getting into it there. It says we were burdened excessively and it was beyond our strength. Burdened excessively. You know, there's a possibility that Aquila and Priscilla was with him. Romans chapter 16, verses 3 and 4. And he uses plural pronouns here. But he says, the thing that I really want you to get at, he doesn't explain to them what it was. I am pretty sure that they knew what it was. I don't believe that they understood to the degree what it was. But um, he uses this, I don't want you to be unaware, six times in the New Testament. Paul uses it. And, and, And it has to do something that has concerned for him greatly. And he wants the reader to have the right information. Okay, so he says, I don't want to paint this up and make it look like a certain thing or what you may have heard. I want you to have the right thing. I they knew that he was in affliction. They knew. I mean, if you look at Paul's ministry, uh, give me a break. The only time he ever really had rest was when he was under arrest. Other than that, you know, he's danger in the country, danger in the city from his front loan people, the Gentiles, and everybody hated him. They wanted to stone him or whip him or beat him or something. But I don't believe that the Corinthians understood that it was near death. Okay? It was a form of persecution that had no escape. Okay? It was beyond us. It was beyond our strengths. Burdened excessively. Um literally unbearably crushed. Okay? Now, I can look at this room and a bunch of us have been through different things in time and there's times I guarantee you, you felt unbearably crushed. But I'm going to ask you a simple question. When you felt that overwhelming, I can't handle any more of this, did it feel like it was going to kill you? Well, it felt like it, but 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 let me take you to the next step. Could it have killed you? Kind of changes it, doesn't it? You know, well, you mean you were taken by some Moscow cops into a hole in the wall and all that? Hey, you forget, I have the federal card. Hmm? Get out of jail free card. I do. I ran into a, a Russian federal cop my first trip there. He's a nice guy. I sent him an American flag. He sent me a Russian flag. And uh, that was when the hockey team, uh, hockey was on strike. And he said, anytime you're in Russia, he, he's federal, so he can cover all 11 time zones. He says, you, you get into trouble. You call this number and I'll come and get you. I carry that with me when I go to Russia. What do I look stupid? <laughs> yes, I have faith. I have enough faith to know that God gave me that card. (laughs) You take that card, what? I can't read it. (laughs) There you go, buddy. This is written in Russian, so this is yours. So anyway, it's got a little flag on it. It looks real impressive. But anyway, I, I share with you guys that kind of stuff. I didn't feel like I was in fear of my life. 
Brothers, we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, and we despaired even for life. Despaired even for life. Um, now you're moving it. He, he's covered two in these phrases. One, it's physical, and one, it is emotional. So he's wanting you to know that when I tell you that I was crushed, that means I was at the end of my physical side and we were in despair even of life. All right, now we've gone over to the emotional side. I just don't want to live no more. That's a tough place to be. You know, and, and you know, well, what was it? I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this. We despaired even of life. Um, whatever it was, there's a plural of people because he uses plural pronouns. And they no longer had the will to live. And it literally means we despaired of life means it's a great big long. It's about that long. Greek word. <laughs> can't be your book's only about like anyway um, and, and what it literally means is the root core of the word is a passage and it's structured in the original language meaning there is no passage out okay yeah there's no way out it's, it's like no exit you know we are in a place that there's literally total absence of any way out. Yay. Okay. So in that, you understand that they would lose the will to live. I don't, I don't care. This is it. All right. So mentally, he's done in. They are done in. Physically, they are completely overwhelmed and they have no physical ability. All the mental abilities and physical abilities are completely gone and there is no passage. Can't get away from it. No hope for life at all. That's it. That's the way Paul looked at it. Now listen, this is weird for me because Paul had been through some stuff. I mean, he had been through some stuff before whatever this was. And, and you, you sit there and go, whoa. And, and it's fascinating. I, I, I just want to, this is how I think about things. I went to Paul's last letter. That, that he, the last letter he ever wrote, 2 Timothy. In chapter 4, verse 6, he makes this statement. I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Did you get that? You know what the time of his departure has come is, right? I'm going to die. You know what that means, right? I'm back at that place again where there is no exit. Guess what? He was right this time. Shortly after the writing of this letter, he had his head removed. Okay? He knew that the time of his death was at an end. And if you read through that whole text, uh, I have fought the good fight. Uh, I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Um, in the future, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge will award me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Okay. He, he's done. Now, there's a difference between that second Timothy text and the Corinthian text. 
All right. In verse nine here, we had the sentence of death on us. Okay. In the second Timothy text, he says, the only one that's with me is Luke. Not only does he say that, he says, you know what? At my first arraignment, who stood with me? No one. But God stood with me, even knowing that he's getting ready to die in the second Timothy text. He says, you know what? God still comforted me. God still comforted me. In this text here, it says, verse nine, indeed. How bad was it? Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. Uh, That's an amazing phrase. It literally means, if you take it to the original language, in our own minds, um, he understood that he was going to die for the gospel's sake. Past the death sentence. They had passed the death sentence. See, in Corinth, he was frightened of this because he knew he wasn't done. In 2 Timothy, he wasn't frightened. Why? Because he knew he was done. All right? See, he knew he wasn't done in Corinth or he wouldn't have wrote two massive letters to him dealing with sin and rebellion and false teachers and denying of the resurrection and corrupting and perverting the Lord's table and corrupting and perverting spiritual gifts and, and all the rest of it. He knew he was nowhere near done. But by 2 Timothy, he says, you know what, I'm, 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 I'm done. I'm done. Okay. He said, we have a sentence of death on ourselves. It's literally a technical term. Um, and it has to do with the word for, for, for an official uh, passing a resolution. Um, it's, it's basically passing of the death sentence. Uh, you guys witnessed this, I think it was this week, with uh, the D.C. sniper. Um, you know, they took it to everybody who would be willing to listen to it, but the order was in place. And basically, they were appealing the order. And you know, that you take it to the High Court of Virginia, and they said nope. And they take it to the governor, and he said nope. And they took it to the Supreme Court, and they said, we don't even want to talk to you. And so the sentence, the resolution, this order is carried out. Paul was at a point that he understood if it's over it's over okay if not i don't i don't feel like i'm finished but if god says i'm done i'm done there's a confidence to that I mean, when he uses this, we had the sense of death within ourselves. Within ourselves actually comes first in the Greek text. And it literally says, we and ourselves have made up our mind that we're done. We're not going to get out of this thing alive. And he understood that. Because the purpose of God was yet to be given to them. All right, Because we had the sense of death within ourselves... Why? Why would God take this amazing man and take him to the place of mental and physical horror? 
Why? I mean, this guy was rocking and rolling for Jesus Christ. He said, go, and he said, hey, you betcha. Why would God do such a thing? Why would God allow such pain, such horrific suffering to be on one of his diligent servants? Thought you would never ask. Read the second half of the verse. So that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Bummer. (laughs) Did you get that? He's going to take his people to a place of absolute mental and physical done. No passage out. Why? Who will you depend on? Who will you depend on? That's tough, isn't it? Well, I know. You do like me. When I first deciphered this and figured it out, I said, Lord... I know your love for me is beyond anything I can comprehend, but I don't want to be Paul. <laughs> I, you know, I got people running around saying, "Well, I want to be an apostle." Go ahead, <laughs> knock yourself out with that. Why? I don't want to be an apostle. I don't want this. Well, but you don't understand. Yes, I do. I've read this text. I know exactly what this text is saying. God would take him to such a horrific place, to this extreme. I can't imagine this place. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine the despair. I cannot imagine the mental anguish. I cannot imagine the physical um, depletion. Let me be honest with you. What I can understand about the Apostle Paul, um, he was strong physically. I got news for you. Somebody stone me and leave me for dead. I'm going to go die. I don't want to press on out of that. But he got up. He was beaten. He was whipped. He was shipwrecked. And he just kept going. He like the Energizer Bunny. Just going and going and going. And so he had to have in and of himself an amazing amount of physical strength. I believe that he also had a lot of um, emotional strength. I mean, just for the task that he was... He was a man that in in a blink of an eye was literally without people. That little Damascus Road thing, the Jews all hated him and the Christians didn't trust him. Kind of leaves you limited. Who do you got? Well, the Christians don't trust you. The Jews want you dead. Where would you like to hang out? How about the desert with Jesus? Is that a good thing? This agonizing pain. And why God put it through there? Why? So he wouldn't trust in himself. That's amazing. You ever thought about that? I know that nobody in here, I don't put no trust in myself. And I know you guys, but you know what? Have you ever been to the place? You know what? I can't understand this. Everywhere I've ever been, and I've been in some places, I always figured a way out. How do I get out of here? And I'm willing to cope with it. I cope with it. 
I was in public housing at one time, looking at 25 years, free rent and board. Okay? And I was just a kid. I was in my early 20s. Okay? Thinking, wow, this is going to be beautiful. And that's where Jesus Christ came to save me. Why? Because you needed to understand, young man, that you have no way out of this. And I said, yeah, well, shoot, bummer. But you know what? He had to do more than that. I know you guys are all quicker than I am, but he took my health away from me. I lost three days of life, woke up in the hospital, and he says, I wasn't kidding. And I said, all right, all right, all right. He's. Okay. Everybody here has been through something. It may have been physical. It may have been mental. It may have been a combination. I got to ask you a question. Did you fix it or did he fix it? Because if he didn't fix it, he will the next time. See, whatever this was that Paul's talking about in 8 and 9, was exactly where God wanted Paul to be so that Paul would understand who he's dependent on. It is so easy for you and I to take in a whole bunch of physical or theological facts. Okay? But what happens when reality just smacks those facts? Do I grab a hold of things of God or do I try to figure out how to get out of it? See... He had been, Paul was at a place, whatever this was, where there was no human resources left. There is no human intellectual abilities left. There's nothing physical left, and there's nothing emotional left. It's gone. There's nothing to, quote unquote, fall back to. That's why the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 can say, you know what? In my weakness, God's power is perfected. See, God had this purpose. It's a great purpose of His in our trials to take us to the limit beyond the limit. Okay? Where we have nothing left to fix it. Can't do anything. All we can do is Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understandings and all your ways acknowledge Him and He'll make your path straight. Did you note that He doesn't say He will show you the path? He will make your path straight. You don't get to see it. I've already looked. See, the only way out is the hands of God. Then He uses this phrase, but it is God who raises the dead. This is an amazing thing to me. I, I kind of hammered away at this in the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, because you and I, everybody in this room right now, I guarantee you, everybody in this room has a problem. Isn't there's something that you're dealing with that just sort of a, right? I mean, everybody in this room has got a quote unquote problem. But you know what? 
I guarantee you that that problem, you are working your can off to try to resolve that problem. It could be a person, a coworker, uh, maybe it's the snow. I don't know. But you're trying to figure out, how can I overcome that problem? Now, here's the thing i got to ask you. God can raise the dead, and what is your problem? Have you ever thought about that? He can only raise the dead. It's a Jewish term. Um, uh, Lightfoot uses it in a number of times. It's, a, it's used in 18 of the synagogue bene- benedictions. Um, and, and it's a descriptive term for God when you're giving a benediction toward God. And... Um, it has to do with who is he? Who is he? I mean, he can only raise the dead. That's all. And your problem is what? Well, you just don't understand my problem. No, he can only raise the dead. And you have a problem. What? It's sort of like when Peter went after Malchus's servant. Do you remember that? They're getting ready to arrest Jesus. Peter pulls out a sword and he swings at Malchus's servant and he ducks and he cuts his ear off. Okay, he, he wasn't trying to give this guy a haircut. Okay, but here's the thing. You've got a whole group of armed soldiers in front of you and you've got one real bad fisherman with a knife. And I say he's a bad fisherman because the only time I ever seen him catch fish is when there was divine intervention. All right. But but he swings at Malchus, and the whole reason is, Jesus is right there. Listen, these guys are about to slaughter me, but you can raise the dead. There's no worries. I'll wait in there and fight too. Don't lose sight of me. <laughs> right over, I'm doing this for you. He raises the dead. You know, I remember years and years and years and years ago, Maybe a few more years ago than that, um, dealing with life saving, uh, like a lifeguard. Okay, and and they talked about if you have a person drowning, okay, and and what are you supposed to do? And of course, the first thing is don't panic. Well, I'm not. I can swim. <laughs> They're drowning. I'm not. Okay, but they say that if a person is drowning, if you think about it for a second. Don't try to save them until they go down for the last time. Okay? And you sit there and go, they'll really like you. You're standing there, one more time, dude. (laughs) He came back up. Come on down. And the reason is, if you go in there before that, they they may have enough strength to continue to fight and literally end up drowning you. Because I've heard people say, well, what you do is you just go up and cold cock them, you knock them out, and then you drag them to safety. Um, well, I don't think anybody's ever tried that because it is hard to get any kind of leverage on a swing if you're both floating. Okay? And, well, you can't. So what you do is you let them come to the end of their strength when they have nothing left they're too weak to fight and that is what the lord wants from each and every one of us i will give you a little footnote thought about that the trouble isn't getting there we we managed to do that well the problem is staying there When the comfort has come, 
okay, in the awesomeness of that comfort, regardless of the mental, regardless of the physical, when it's completely out of our hands, when the comfort has come and you stand in awe that, look, this is the work of God. Will you stay there? Because that's where we struggle. That's where we struggle. See, when we get to that place, our last shot, we're, we're sinking the last time. There's absolutely nothing we can do to save ourselves. I have no more human resources. I have nothing else to do. That's when the power of God intervenes. I don't care if it's physical illness. I don't care what the illness is. I don't care if it's emotional. I, I, I don't care what the distress is. Um, there's times that we feel forsaken. There's times that we feel left alone. We, we have these problems with relationships. Whatever shatters your confidence in your own abilities, in your own strength, it's God's opportunity. It's God's opportunity. See, I think it was Linsky. It's either Linsky or Calvin. I don't remember who said this, but I, I, I thought this was good. It's a quote, but I, I think it was one of those two. Self-confidence leads you all the way to self-despair. Okay, and, and the two smartest guys I read are Calvin and Linsky, so I'm figuring it's one of those two. Okay? See, that's God wants you out of resources. And at that point, the only thing that's going to hold you together is a radical confidence in God. That's it. First, first part of verse 10. Who delivered us from such a great peril of death. Who delivered us from death. <laughs> I just can't understand that. He can only raise the dead, but He just kept us from dying this time. See, God, when Paul got to that place, here comes God riding into the rescue. He delivered us from so great a peril. I wish I knew what it was. I wish I, wish I knew, I could say this is what was for sure what, what it was. But I do know that he had endured a lot and that the power of the Lord came through in the midst of it. And God put himself on display so we could see God's strength. You know, I, I think about it many moons ago. <clears throat> we were working. Uh, it was the closest thing to a skyscraper that I probably have ever been on. Um, I think it was 14 or 15 stories. And <clears throat> everything was behind schedule. Uh, Weather had hosed it up and everything. So we started working uh, around the clock. And you started run, running uh, 12 hour shifts, 12 hour days, and 12 hour nights. And, uh, and you, you, you know, you, well, what's 14 stories? 14 stories is a long way off the ground, okay? And what we would do is you're, you're laying iron in this thing and, you, and you're welding them and, and you had hot pop rivets that you were putting into. And then on the outside of it was brick. But you you were you would lay a layer of steel up for the frame, then you brick it up and all the rest of it. And then, you know, and we I remember that at the end of the uh, <laughs> we were near the end of the completion of the job. 
basically the frame of the job. Floors were in, the elevator shaft was in, and we were doing the last thing. And what you would do is you'd put all the floodlights over where everybody was working, but you still had the building. And uh, one of the supervisors, you know, really smart guys, um, was out checking different spots, but he'd gotten out in the dark. This is the night shift. And he was walking the wall. You walk, they call it walking iron. And, and he's just walking. And I mean, it's, if you don't think about it, it ain't that big a deal. It's no different than what you normally walk. The thing that plays havoc with you is you look down and you're like, oh, what if I slip? Anyway, you go cruising along on this corner and he had gone off to the far corner from where everybody was working and he slipped. Okay, and this was back before everybody had harnesses and cables and, and all the rest of it. This was back when you were, speed was more important than safety. And he slipped. And what, what he did is when he fell, he, gra- he caught just the edge of the brick. Okay, and, and I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about, cinder blocks? So he's got a hold of that. But you need to understand something. That when he fell, his body weight on his hands caught the edge of that thing. He's yelling and screaming. We got grinders running, grinding steel and all the rest of it and, and all the rest of it. And this guy's yelling and hollering and screaming to, for somebody to come and get him. But he's on the opposite side of where we are. Okay? And he's, he's, he's over there. Okay? And he is sitting there. His, it had ripped up the insides of both of his arms where he had slid past the brick as he had gone down. And he's running out of strength. He's running out of strength. He's running out of strength. <laughs> It was about all gone. And he kept screaming, and there was nobody coming. And all of a sudden, his hands just give out, and he let go. And he fell. About two inches to the scaffolding that was holding up the rest of the brick. But in the pitch black, you don't see it. He aged. <laughs> <laughs> Like 60 years, just like that. Do you understand that? How awesome is our God? Our ignorance doesn't change the certainty of how awesome God is, but it does destroy the peace does destroy the peace. See, we are so often terrified by our predicament when all the time God has scaffolding sitting right there. But we look at the predicament. See, we need to remember that underneath us is the everlasting arms and love and compassion of God. And you know what? Everybody in this room has been through something. And I, I got to ask you a silly question. Is God faithful? See, that's how awesome the power of God is. God's power is so awesome. He even raised the dead. Let's pray. Father, I just give you the praise for your amazing word. And Father, I I think about my brother Paul. 
Father, what that man endured for the sake that we who are here this day would be called children of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, You comfort us. You give us strength, Lord, in all afflictions. Lord, I would ask You, I would beg You, let us rest full weight upon You. Father, uh, let us trust in You who raises the dead and not ourselves. Father, I just praise You. I think about the people who are hurting in this fellowship with physical illness and others. And yet, Father, You are faithful. Father, even to the point that uh, Mary is too well to stay where she's at. Your comfort is beyond us, Lord. And yet, Father, You've given it to us. Thank You, Lord. Thank You for all that You do in Christ and Christ alone. Amen.